All right. You're a little bit dull tonight. You're a little bit struggling to pay attention. So um, we're going to start this way. I went to the animal fair. The birds and the beasts were there. The big baboon by the light of the moon was combing his auburn hair. The monkey, he got drunk and sat on the elephant's trunk. The elephant sneezed and fell on his knees. And that was the end of the monk, the monk, the monk, the monk. Nobody joined in there. All right. Thank you for that. Nobody joined in there. I made a baboon of myself, but it was for a point. And the point was that from a long time back in American culture, that song goes back at least to 1898, probably even earlier, but who knows? It's gone way back. We have used in our culture events with animals that became personified to teach moral lessons for us as human beings. So that's deeply embedded in our American culture, that we're going to take something silly like that and we're going to try to teach us to be careful how you act around elephants, I guess. I don't know, but um, we're not the first to do that. You all know Aesop's fables, whether you know that you do or not. Aesop being a Greek storyteller from the sixth century before Christ, way back. He's mentioned by Herodotus, the historian, Aristophanes, the playwright, Plato, the philosopher. They all mention Aesop and his many stories. And, and you do, you do know those. I mean, you know, the, the one about the lion and the mouse, you know, and the mouse helps the lion out in the end. But what, what can a mouse do to help a lion? But hey, it worked out and it's a good reminder um, to us all. The fox and the grapes. Remember the one where the fox is trying to get to the grapes? He can't get to them. He tries all kinds of things. Other animals are watching him. He can't get there. And he goes away and says, eh, they were sour anyway. You know, he says sour grapes because he doesn't want anybody to think he really wanted them. He couldn't get them. Now I just decided not to go for it. Sounds like a human being might have done something like that. The tortoise and the hare. We all know that one, right? Where the the turtle and the rabbit are going to have a race and the rabbit goes way out in front. He's going to win the race for sure, but the turtle just keeps plodding along. The rabbit takes a nap, the rabbit comes, takes a detour, comes back and sure enough, the turtle wins. It's like, how does that happen? Slow and steady wins the race. Have you heard that before? Yeah, that's, that's great. One of my favorites is the Aesop's fable about, again, the turtle. This time the turtle's not the, the good guy in this one exactly. The turtle and the birds. And the turtle is at a pond and he's listening to these birds extol the virtues of this other pond that is a ways away, but it sounds so fabulous. And then the turtle thinks, you know, I've got a way I can get there. I mean, I, I, it would take me days to get there crawling along, but you guys fly back and forth all the time. How about one of you holds this end of the stick, the other one holds that end of the stick, and I am just going to clamp on to the middle of the stick. You guys take off, land me over there, and then we'll be able to do it. And so sure enough, the, uh, the birds say, yeah, okay, we can do that. And so they get off and they're going across. And as they are up there, other birds are going by and go, that is incredible. Who had that idea? And you see where this is going. The turtle says, I did. And then boom, he's gone. He smashed one. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That's our proverb from the book of Proverbs, given the same idea. So yeah, Aesop, thank you for all of those great fables or little short stories, often with animals as characters that are going to convey some kind of a moral to us. You know, it's even older than Aesop, though. Aesop, 6th century BC, let's go back, or even 7th century, he's right at the turn of the century there, perhaps. Uh, we go back farther to Solomon, a king in the 10th century BC, 
in the land of Israel, renowned for being the wisest human being who ever lived because 1 Kings chapter 3 gives us a story. Solomon uh, was approached by the Lord when he became the king in the place of his father, David. And the Lord said to Solomon, ask for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, you've made me king in place of my father, David, yet I'm but a child, a small child, a little child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. So please give me wisdom. Give me a discerning heart that I might know how to go in and go out before these people. And God said, you know, because you've asked for wisdom and not riches or power, I'm going to give you both riches and power and wisdom. And so we read about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, after he was given all of this wisdom, that uh, he studied everything. He just always wanted to know everything about nature. Uh, he, he wrote all kinds of proverbs, and that's what we're studying in this series that we're on. We started with chapters 1 through 9, and now we've transitioned over into the second part of the book, chapters 10 through 31, which are much more pithy little sayings like we're used to, but they're more difficult in a way to understand because they're not in a clear context. It's hard to outline the book of Proverbs, for example. But when we, uh, we think about uh, Samuel, not Samuel, I'm looking at Samuel, but I'm trying to find First Kings, which I thought I marked and I didn't, um, about Solomon's proclivity with Proverbs, songs, and all manner of things. First Kings 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Kolkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon far surpassed even Aesop with his 750 little stories. Well, there are a lot more Proverbs and songs and stories here from Solomon, some of whom we have in our um, canon of Scripture, Proverbs, the wisdom literature. And so... We, uh, we recognize that this is a, a very strong and lively tradition and one that's, that's very, very valuable. And this Solomon also, in his wisdom, talked about conveying wisdom to the others. Proverbs chapter 8, very famous passage, says, verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, wisdom, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the, um, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. I wisdom. In other words, wisdom was the attribute of God that was guiding God in all that he did in terms of making a great world. So in the book of Proverbs, we ought not to be surprised to find the world of wisdom 
The world has wisdom baked into it. There's wisdom in every facet of it. That God didn't make mistakes. Now, you may want to ask him about mosquitoes at some point along the way and a few other things like, Lord, could we have done away with that? I'm sure he's got a great reason and we'll give him praise and thanks for it down the road. But wisdom is baked into the natural world. And so all of those strange names that I read about, Solomon was even wiser than Ethan or Kalkal or who are those guys? They were wise people of the earth known throughout the Near East for their wisdom. And this wisdom of natural revelation is accessible to every human being. So one doesn't have to be a Christian to be a great physicist. You know, one can study nature and to do it dispassionately and do it rationally and, re- and um, fairly and give great contributions to human society. You can study political science, can study business, can study literature, can all of those things are accessible to us because of this natural revelation, the, the world of wisdom. Well, that's where we uh, come then tonight to one more of the Proverbs, one more section of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. So if you turn there, that is our text for tonight. We'll read it and then we'll see what we are supposed to learn from it. Proverbs 30 verses 24 through 28, the world of wisdom. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, and yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, and yet it is in king's palaces. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, would you take these five verses tonight and dig them deep enough into our hearts to make a difference so that we will not again forget the world of wisdom, even though it is combated by the wisdom of this world, but that we will find your true and enduring wisdom here in a way that will help us in this week better to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, I want to look at these five verses a little bit more carefully, and I want to look at them under a slightly different heading than the introduction, which was the world of wisdom, that this world has been uh, hardwired to have wisdom in it. Now, we all know what happened to the world after creation. In Genesis 3, sin entered the world because of our first parent, Adam, and death through sin, and everything is broken and off kilter, and yet we still see glimpses of the original good in creation. It cannot be hidden. Even though we try to push it down in unrighteousness, it just slips up through our fingers and screams, God made this, God made this. Well, uh, in this broken world, this, this different world, this world not speaking now of that which was made, which is good, God's creation over and over again, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. But now we think of the world as a system of values spun independently of God. And John, especially in the New Testament, uses world to speak of that human-centered system. And so we pass from the world of wisdom to the wisdom of this world. And so let's look at these five verses from the standpoint of the wisdom of this world. And in verse uh, 24, our first verse, this is how you might sum it up. Don't bet on, um, don't bet on David. 
Don't bet on David the king in 1 Samuel 17. David and Goliath are going to battle against each other. You'd be an idiot to vote on David, right? David's a young guy, small guy. Goliath's an experienced soldier, everything. 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's a great story. One of everybody's favorite stories. The worldly wisdom says, yeah, don't, don't bet on David. And nobody did. No one was taking bets on David on either the Israelite side or the Philistine side. They were all betting on Goliath. And that was because uh, they were focused on verse 24. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. This world says, eh, if it's small, if it's insignificant, if it's not rich, in other words, it's poor, if it's not great and mighty, but it's weak, uh, you don't want to bet on that. If it's not beautiful, don't bet on that. So, yeah, don't, that's not where you put your eggs in that basket. You look for somewhere else to invest. Four things on earth are small, and yet they are exceedingly wise. They're weak. Because of creation, though, the way God hardwired the creation, according to wisdom, if they follow the wisdom that he has baked into them by instinct, they're going to show themselves to be wiser than many human beings are. So don't bet on David, worldly wisdom. But the wisdom of God that is in Proverbs chapter 30, 24 to 28 says, oh, yeah, bet on David. Oh, yeah, because he's going to find a way because of God in whom he's putting his trust and his wisdom will overcome Goliath's size and power. Absolutely vote, uh, bet on David. Few did, but how did it work out? Yeah, it was, it was David. Okay. How about ants? How many of you think ants are going to really rule the creation at one day? Or the ants are so cool. Ants have so many great qualities. Like, yeah, ants, verse 25, are a people the personification again, are a people that are, you know, not strong. They're weak. Ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. That counts for something. You know, Aesop's fable about the grasshopper and the ant, that the grasshopper plays his instrument all day long, sings his song all summer long, has a great summer, eats to abundance, he's fine. And yet when the winter comes, he doesn't have anything prepared. He doesn't have anything stored up. He's shivering and awful. And here's the ant in the ant's hole in the ground that has abundant provision because ants are really wise creatures. They prepare ahead of time. They don't wait till the last minute. They do their work ahead of time. I was uh, teaching a lesson this morning on the Sermon on the Mount um, and uh, was yeah, embarrassed to see in my notes, one of the provisions of when things are hard sometimes that, that we need to trust God to know what he's doing. And fathers do discipline their children. They discipline them to stretch them and to make them more like Jesus. And so that's, it's good to stretch your child, not just to spank your child, but to stretch your child. Some, you didn't do anything wrong, son. You didn't even do anything wrong, daughter, but I want you to learn to stretch it out. I want you to learn to depend on the Lord. I want you to learn to provide ahead of time. And the illustration that I was using from, this was 2002. The illustration from that sermon was, I noticed the date, the date was April the 20th or something. It said earlier this week, I was in panic mode because of trying to do my taxes, income taxes. It was April 15th. You all do know that. You don't have to start now quite, but you might want to prepare ahead. 
Anyway, I was scrambling. I had to ask my dad a question about it. You know, how do I do this, dad? Oh gosh, this is driving me nuts. I got to get all these figures together. I got to get this out. I got to get it done by the 15th. Oh, good night. And my dad helped me. He was great. He, He said, that's fine. You can get it done. But then my dad said the next day after I did get it all done, you know, next year, do it in March. Thanks, dad. That's good wisdom. You know, do not despise the discipline of your father. Why is it that even tonight I'm late getting here? Why, why do I not prepare ahead of time even more? I mean, I'm not nearly as bad as I was in 2002, but I'm not arrived at home yet. I am still a mess who needs to go to the ant, observe her ways and become wise. Because the ants, this is not the first time in Proverbs the ant has been mentioned. The ant is also mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6 in verses six and following. And I did a paper on that for my wisdom literature class in seminary. And it was and is to this day, the first paper, the only paper I've ever turned in early. Now I've never turned in one late. No, there was one. I did turn it in. That was bad. Oh, that was awful. But it was the only one I turned in early because I started ahead of time. I thought I'm going to learn a lesson from the ant here. And sure enough, I did. And it was amazing. It was great. Ants are creatures of little strength, but they prepare their food ahead of time. They have it baked into them, not to wait till the last minute, but to gather their food and to store it up and they'll be ready. Why don't we do that? Because we're foolish. We cram at the last minute and we're like the grasshopper who just wants to have a good time. I don't want to have to think about retirement. I don't have to think about saving. I don't want to have to think Ants are creatures of little strength, but they are exceedingly wise because they provide their food in the summer. The world will tell you, "Mm, don't bet on the ant. I will tell you, do bet on the ant. The world will tell you in the next verse, don't bet on the rock badger. I'll tell you, absolutely bet on the rock badger. Rock badgers are a people, again, not mighty. They're not strong, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. What's that mean? Well, first of all, what's a rock badger? How many of you know a rock badger? You're thinking of University of Wisconsin rock badgers. No, that's not quite right. And the rock badger is is not that. It's not as big and intimidating as that far, the great Northwest um, badger. But, and I've often wondered, I've read this verse for years and years and never knew what a, a rock badger was until... In 2010, there was a Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization in Cape Town, South Africa. And I got to go. I don't know why I got to go, but I got to go. It was great. I loved it. And one day when we had a free afternoon, I was on tour of different things and I tried to cram in one more thing. Does that surprise you after what I've told you? No. Tried to cram in one more thing before the end of the day. And so I was going to climb Table Mountain. And so I got the taxi to let me off at the base of Table Mountain and started walking up Table Mountain. I noticed a lot of people coming down. I didn't notice anybody else walking up. I didn't pass anybody walking up. Nobody passed me walking up. But I got up to the top of Table Mountain, so-called because it looks like a table uh, right around Cape Town. And it's always set with a fine linen tablecloth because there's a cloud that hangs over it pretty much all the time. I get to the top and there is this cloud. And this cloud looks like it's going to rain. And there is nobody else up there. There was no one there. And it's getting dark And I am a little bit scared like you really did a dumb one this time, David. And all of a sudden, I'm aware of a creature looking at me. And I look over the edge of this, all these rocks, and it looks like an Ewok from Star Wars looking up at me. A cute little thing, but strange, little teeth hanging out and everything. I found out later, 
Much later, what was that thing? It was a rock badger, a hyrax, a dooley, as they call them in South Africa. And it lives in the rocks and it is, has no real natural predators. It is so well protected that they really don't have any enemies because they are so dug into the rocks. You know, we're so nervous about our security. We want to find shelter that'll help secure us from the storm and from uh, robbers and all kinds of things. Our home is our fortress. And yet we don't really pull that off as well as a rock badger or a hyrax can do it. So don't bet on the rock badger. They're just little bitty fuzzy creatures. They look real cute and all that, but don't bet on that, says the world. And yet Proverbs says, oh, do bet on that. It's not about strength and weakness. It's about wisdom and folly. Go with wise every time. Wise will be strong. Go with wise. The next of these four things on earth that are small and yet exceedingly wise is verse 27. The locusts have no king, and yet all of them march in rank. Locusts are going to really ruin your life this year. If I told you that, you know, you want the over or the under on that, that locusts are going to ruin your life this year. You're going to take the, well, I don't know which one you're going to take, but you're going to take it. No, they're not going to ruin my life this year. Locusts, I mean, locusts are small little grasshoppers. They're not even the big grasshoppers. They're just regular old grasshoppers. Yeah, they are. But as uh, Hopper found out in an ironic twist that here the grasshoppers find out in the movie Ant or An Ant's Life or something like that, A Bug's Life, one of those. Uh, As he found out, Hopper found out, if those ants ever figured out how much power they had being all together, we would be in great trouble. And sure enough, Locusts, they don't have a king. They don't have a ruler. They can't be trained. Hey, if you locusts will come together, you can do amazing things. No one's trained them. It is baked into them to go in unison together and to march in ranks across a field and completely denude it. So many times in the history of Israel, a locust invasion was the most dreaded thing that could ever happen. And when God wanted to discipline his people and give them a harbinger of the great judgment that is to come, in Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2, he used a locust invasion to do it. And here come these locusts, you know, group upon group, marching in their sections of their army. How do they do that? And yet they're exceedingly powerful because they stick together like that. Well, we can't do that as human beings very well unless we can something, learn something locust-like, bet on the locusts because they've got this wisdom down that they will stick together and they will come forward in rank upon rank upon rank. And then finally, the fourth of these small little creatures is the lizard. So small, you can take a lizard in your hand and yet you will find lizards in king's palaces. They'll get in. They can get in anywhere. I thought of this in another international travel. I was in Cambodia this time and I looked up on my ceiling as I was going to bed to see a couple of lizards. I thought they won't come down in the middle of the night. And they didn't, they didn't come down in the middle of the night and there's no way to get rid of them. Uh, but they're just, they squiggle over and they can get through the smallest crack. They can get anywhere. At the second of the Lausanne Congresses on World Evangelization, Cape Town was the third. The second one was in Manila. I got to go to that one too. Amazing. I know why I got to go to that one. But anyway, um, I had a sponsor who put in a good word for me. But there, one of the best talks that we got was for the laity. That's most of you. Maybe almost all of you. Where are all the ministers tonight? I don't know. Anyway, and you're still laity too, Phil, for a little longer until you get ordained. The laity are much more valuable to the cause of the kingdom than the clergy. 
Oh, no, 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 no. Clergy are, you know, they're the pastors. They're the teachers. They have all this knowledge that they've attained from going to Memphis City Seminary and other places. They've got all that, and they're going to teach it to us. And if I were only a pastor, I could have value for the kingdom. I could help Jesus in the Great Commission, but I'm not. I'm just a layperson. To make the point, the speaker at this Congress said, lay people are like lizards. Clergy are like frogs. And the frog sits on his lily pad all day waiting for a fly to come by and, you know, you know, he can get a fly only if it comes within the reach of his bulk. He's not even going to jump to get it. He's just going to sit there and snarf up a fly. But lizards don't get their flies like that. Lizards have to sneak around and they come out of hiding and then they can get something. At a strange time, they'll just jump out and get it. Uh, lizards are very smart. And that's what lay people are like. Governments try to keep Christians out of their country. We do not want Christianity. We do not want you threatening our government, our society. We are not Christians, and we are militantly Hindu, Muslim, atheist, communist, whatever. We, you cannot come in here. Want to bet? Lady, get in there. A doctor. Well, we do need a doctor. Yeah, we, we could use some help with that. We could use a little help with our technology. We could... Slip right through the crack, and there's the layperson right there. Because even though I'm just a person of little strength, I can get my way into borders that are supposedly closed. I guess the bottom line is where we're going with all of this is we have a world of wisdom that was broken due to the fall. And now we see the wisdom of the world combating what God baked into that original design. And We're having to be taught again. No, don't put all your strength in strength and in big things. Go with things that are exceedingly wise. And thanks to Tim Keller, I want to end with a third part. This is the conclusion. The the world of wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and now third, the wisdom of the word. Because Jesus is not as far from this passage as we might think on first glance. The world is going to say concerning Jesus too, don't bet on Jesus. I mean, look at him. This is even a look at Jesus by the prophet Isaiah about which Martin spoke to us this morning. The prophet Isaiah from the 8th century, um, 7th century before the time of Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we have this picture of the suffering servant who grew up before the Lord like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah, don't bet on the servant. Don't bet on Jesus. Ah, He's he's toast. We're going to put him out. We're going to kill him. We're going to crucify him. We'll get rid of him. Better that one person die for the nation than that the whole nation die, as Caiaphas, the high priest, said. Well... Jesus was regarded as being foolishness. He was regarded as being of no account. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And look at your calling, brothers and sisters. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, nor many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Bet on Jesus. The world will tell you his message doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. The cross, are you kidding me? That's weakness. No, we don't put our stock in that. And we say, yes, we do. We, We mark our church with that. We celebrate and remember forever until he comes again, the night in which he was betrayed and went to the cross for us because it is that cross that is exceedingly wise. Do bet on the word that was present at the beginning of creation. For in the beginning was the word, John says in his gospel, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and his life was the light of human beings. He is the light. This word, this eternal word, not created first and then the rest comes from it, no always created, that God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he was making all things. So we should expect wisdom to be in everything that has been made. Now, one final point on this wisdom of the word. Proverbs chapter 30 that we are in tonight begins this way. The words of Agur, the son of Jacah, the oracle, the man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I've not the understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What's his son's name? Surely you know. And Agur, who was himself a wise man, Apparently not an Israelite. Don't know if he was a believer in the one true and living God or not, but he had a lot of natural wisdom from natural revelation. And he would tell us that though he don't trust any human being, we're all finite and limited. Who knows what it's like? Who, no one's ever ascended to heaven to see what it's like. What's going to happen after we die? And thank you for Tim Keller reminding me that in John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Tonight, every one of us is somewhat insecure about our lives. Every one of us is aware of some weakness that we think disqualifies us from really making much of a difference in this world. Yeah, I'm not really good looking, so life's kind of stacked against me. It's not going to work out. I'm not very strong. I'm not young anymore. I'm not rich. I'm not, you fill in your blank. And what I think Proverbs 30, 24 to 28 wants to tell us tonight, that whatever weakness you fill into that blank, The Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things and redeemer of a people for himself, has a wisdom that will more than compensate for that lack if we will put our trust in him.
Let's pray. Father, we bow before you as great creator, triune God with your son and your spirit forever and to forever. We thank you for the weakness that our Lord Jesus endured by coming on the earth and taking on flesh and giving up all of his riches to suffer poverty for us that we might become rich through him. Lord, remind us of that great, great love through this meal that we share together now. Help it be a meal unlike any other worldly meal that we partake of, but this is a meal where amazingly, mysteriously, we are fed by you with food that touches the soul and not just the body. We ask it in Jesus' name, who is our Lord and who is our praise. Amen.